you can stand, I invite you to stand for the reading of our scripture this passage this morning. Our scripture is Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stay right here for right now. Oh, good. We have a microphone. You can hear me, too. Um, and, you know, we'll see. Maybe, like, each time if I'm here, I'll be at a different step to see which one is just the right one. But um, before we look at this passage any further, uh, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, it is our desire, uh, again, um, to pause in your presence and ask for your help. Because we remember that your word is life, that your word is powerful, that your word has the ability to change us like nothing else. And so, Father, we acknowledge our weakness. We know that we come with all sorts of distractions, different things that stand in the way, and so we look to you and ask that your spirit would help us, that you would help me to speak, you'd help us to hear, that you would change us and grow us and make us more like Christ Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was many years ago, I was working at a church that had a sanctuary smaller than this, but more like this in San Jose. I was kind of fresh out of seminary. It was probably about a year or so after. And the senior pastor, my boss at the time, asked me to visit one of our church members. I had never even heard of this person that I was supposed to visit, let alone meet him. So I was kind of curious. I, I came to this person's house, which was even from the outside, a little bit disheveled, but nothing too unusual in San Jose, in the area that I was. And then I knocked on the door, found, met this guy who was probably about six or seven years older than me. Um, and you can kind of, you ever had it when you meet someone, you can tell that they are not really that accustomed to talking with people. This is one. He just kind of had this, this kind of awkwardness about him. And I kind of understood why the moment I set for, you know, stepped foot inside his house, all around me were stacks of paper in the entranceway that pretty, came, came pretty close to the ceiling. They were like newspapers, magazines, 
male. I don't know what it was. I had no idea how, but, but it wasn't just there. As we moved, I realized that we weren't going to be able to be chatting around the dining room table because the dining room table was invisible because it was covered by stacks and stacks and stacks of paper. Again, up to the ceiling. We went to the kitchen, and there's a TV that was surrounded by all sorts of papers, and the counters were covered by stuff. I had never seen anything like it. He offered me a glass of water, and I realized I wasn't going to sit down. We ended up going to the outside, and that's where we could have the conversation, because that's the only place where there were two seats in the entire house. Now, as I said, I had not experienced anything like this. This was unusual for me. I was wondering what was going on, but... Probably you know, at least I, I didn't, but I did now, do now, that, that hoarding actually has been classified as a psychological disorder. Now, before you start kind of looking knowingly at one of your family members, uh, this is not just about collecting. This is not like holding on to your old Def Leppard rock concert t-shirt longer than you should. This is a disorder that talks about having a debilitating holding on to stuff that really affects the quality of your life, like it did for, for this person that I met. It, it oftentimes socially isolates you, like it did for this guy. And, and it is really hard to move out of. Uh, apparently, and they're still trying to figure out what's at the heart of, of this hoarding disorder, but at least one of the most prominent theories is that it has to do with anxiety of decision-making. And you think about it, every time you get mail, every time you have a magazine, newspaper, at a certain point you have to decide, should I keep this or should I throw it away? And there can be this debilitating anxiety. What happens if I get rid of it and I really need it? And so rather than dealing with the difficulty of making that decision, those with this disorder just hold on to everything because, because it's too hard to let things go. Now, I didn't know this when I was talking with this guy. What I just felt, and I felt sad when I was with this person because he just seems to me tremendously stuck. Like somehow he had gotten at a, a point in his life that he could not move beyond. And, and because of that, because he just kind of stayed in this and kept on holding on to things, his life seemed to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And there was no change, no growth in this person, no connection with others, no openness to doing things differently. And, and it felt like there was not really life. Like, like he did not have the experience of living anymore because he was so stuck. Now, I wonder, do you know what it's like to be stuck? I mean, I'm not asking if any of you are hoarders here. I've been in many of your homes, and I haven't seen anything like this. But if we have not experienced that kind of stuckness, my guess is many of you, if you have lived any length of time, knows what it feels like at times to be stuck. To be at some point in your life where you feel like there's just not any movement, not any growth, not any development. It can feel just kind of stagnant. Have you ever had that before? Or maybe even right now you're feeling that way. Sometimes that feeling of stuckness can happen for a cause, you know, it can be because of causes completely outside of you. Around the same time that I was visiting this person, my brother graduated with a degree in computer science, and it was right at the time that the internet bubble burst. And for six months, no one was hiring, and he and his wife were just stuck. They could not get employment. It was really frustrating. But other times, stuckness is not something that's outside of us. It's, it's within us. It's a lack of being able to move forward, a lack of feeling like we're growing, 
or change it. So maybe sometimes you feel like your, your day just kind of is monotonous. Every day is the same, work, family, but you don't realize actually that what you're feeling is that you yourself are not changing because you're stuck. You see this in marriages, that at a certain point, the, the arguing, the fighting can just be so overwhelming that the easier thing is just to find safe things to talk about between husband and wife. And so there's kindness There is niceness, but there's not any growth because you need to talk about those hard things to grow. And so slowly the marriage loses life because without growth and change, there is no life. Sometimes when people talk about being stuck, they're talking about feeling, you know, maybe you've spoken before, feeling spiritually dry. Where it's hard to pray and when you pray, God feels like a million miles away and and the stuff that you know you're supposed to believe doesn't feel real. And that can happen sometimes because you're physically exhausted, or it can happen because you're going through a difficult time in life, but sometimes it's because you have stopped growing. What you're feeling is a stagnancy, a stuckness. Do you know what it's like to be stuck? When we're stuck, I don't think the issue ultimately is that we are incapable of change. I think it's somewhere along the lines we've stopped believing we have the ability to change. We don't get stuck because we want to be there. We get stuck because we don't know we have a choice. We feel like we've gotten about as far as we can with our work. We feel like our marriage is just where it's at, and it's not going to get any better. We feel like we're not really capable of growing and becoming more the person that we really would like to be. Now, when we're in moments like this, when we're feeling stuck, I think the fundamental question that we are asking, or if we're not asking, it should be something we're asking, is can I change? Can I keep growing. Don't you want to change? Don't you want? I know I do. I want to change. I want to keep growing. But sometimes it just feels like we're stuck. Can I change? And if so, how? Now, I want to tell you this morning is that in Colossians, this is the, the letter that we're going to be looking at over the next nine weeks. Paul is writing this letter specifically to answer this question. And his answer is this, yes, you can change. You can change through the power of the gospel. That's, that's what the entire letter is about. Now just to, to back up for a moment, so you can know, since we're going to be spending so much time with this letter, so you can know a little bit about Colossians. Colossians was written essentially as a favor to a friend. That is, Paul doesn't actually know the Colossian church. He has never been to the city of Colossae, as far as we can tell. But he does know a guy from there. Epaphras is a friend of his. It's probably the case that Epaphras became a Christian when Paul was preaching somewhere else. He heard the gospel, he was changed, and he was like, I need to have my friends and my family know about this. So he goes back to his hometown, to Colossae, and he tells his family, and he tells his friends about what Jesus has done, and people believe. And as a result, this church starts. And Epaphras finds himself as a church planter, the pastor of this new church. And he's pastoring there for a few years. But then he hears that his friend Paul is in prison. He's in prison 
in Rome under house arrest, and he needs some help. He needs someone to help get his food, maybe to help him write letters. And so Epaphras leaves Colossae. He leaves this new church. He goes to Paul. And when he goes to Paul to be with him, he also tells Paul of his concern for this church that he, he loves, the church that he's planted. A church that, that started off well, but now, now it seems a little bit stuck. And so Paul writes this letter to a group of people he has not met before, but he's heard about from Epaphras. And he is writing to them to help them to know how to become unstuck. He's saying, here's how you grow. Here's how you change. You change and grow through the power of the gospel. And we see that throughout the letter, and we see that in this opening passage, the first 14 verses that were just read. As you might have noticed, after the brief introduction, Paul gives a prayer. He starts by giving thanks, and then he prays. But really, as he's giving thanks and he's praying, what he's talking about is growth and change. When he gives thanks for the Colossians, he says, this is how growth happened amongst you. And then when he's praying, he says, this is how you will grow. And so let's just look at both of those parts. How has growth happened? And how will you grow? Well, he starts off with some really kind words. In verse 3, if you don't have your bulletins open, I invite you to, because we're just going to be looking kind of through these verses. In verse 3, he says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Wouldn't you love to have that at the beginning of your letter? Every time we pray for you, we are so thankful to God for what we know about you. And here's why. Here's, Here's what he says. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have, for all the saints. And that's, those are encouraging words. I have heard, Paul says, that you are the real deal. You don't just come together on Sunday mornings because you like to see each other or because it's the good thing to do. You come together, you live your lives because you have trusted in Jesus. He is your king. And what's more, you're not just polite and nice to each other. You love each other. When it says love for the saints, saints is just another word for Christians. You love the people in your church. You don't just show kindness on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week you are involved in each other's lives. You care about them. You sacrifice for them. You have faith in Christ and you love each other. There could not be two more important things that Paul could say about the church. This is the heart of what it looks like to be a Christian. And these are not things that happen just on their own. Someone isn't born trusting in Jesus. Someone isn't born loving people faithfully. This is something that has happened to them. Paul is saying, look at you. You've grown. You've changed. Look at who you are. I have little doubt that that Paul would say that to us, as if you were writing to us. I've heard of your faith and your love Something has happened to you. You've grown. And how do they grow? Well, he sees in the next verse. It says, These things have happened because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Here's how you grew, he says. You heard the gospel. 
when, when Epaphras came, when he shared the gospel with you, that changed you. You grew. You have become different people because you heard the gospel. Now, we're going to be focusing on the gospel a lot in the next coming weeks because Paul keeps coming back to that. But I just want us to notice two things when he's talking about them having heard this gospel message, two things that he says about it here. First, notice that he says at the end of verse 6 that this is the gospel that describes the grace of God in truth. The message of the gospel says God is gracious to us. What is grace? I mean, it's a word we sing about when we sing Amazing Grace, we hear about, but sometimes we don't really know what we're saying. I think the simplest way of defining grace is grace is undeserved generosity. Have you ever had it when you are really in a foul mood? Maybe some of you never had it, but let's just assume that maybe you have. Think of the possibility of it. And, and when you're in the foul mood, maybe you're okay to being polite to people you don't know very well, but your closest family members or friends, you just, you just are rude. And at a certain point, you say something that's just cutting, maybe to your parent or to your spouse. And you know, as you've said it, that you deserve some sort of retribution, some cutting mark in response. But instead, this family member kind of looks at you kindly and pauses and maybe even kind of puts their hand on your shoulder and says, Are you okay? I know you've been under a lot of stress recently and you don't seem quite yourself. How are things going? And you know what you deserve, and this wasn't it. And it melts you. That's grace. And the gospel says that God, the one who made this world, the one who we owe everything to, the one that we have treated so faithlessly and horribly, this God is gracious towards us. This God opens his arms out wide and welcomes us in love. The gospel declares that God is gracious. Now we see another thing that Paul says about this gospel. Again, at the very beginning of verse 5, it says, The hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the gospel. The gospel gives us hope. Because the gospel declares that God, in his grace, doesn't just leave us to the consequences of our actions, which we deserve. He doesn't just leave us in our sin, but he has committed himself to rescuing us, to conquering sin and death as he did through Christ Jesus, to enabling us to have a future that we don't need to be afraid of, because it is good and because it is certain. The gospel proclaims the grace of God And the gospel proclaims hope. And Paul says, that was the key for you. When you heard that God is gracious, and when you were given hope, it changed you. The gospel caused you to grow. And notice, he wants to point out, this was not just a one-time event. This was not an unusual situation. This is what the gospel does everywhere. Verse 6, he talks about how the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruits and increasing. Everywhere, when the gospel goes somewhere and people hear that they have hope, 
And when people hear that the reason they have hope is because the God of the universe is gracious and is not treating them as they deserve, but is welcoming them and forgiving, that has changed people. It's growing people. Things are happening. And Paul says, that's what happened to you. Here's how growth happened. You heard about grace. And you heard about hope. And when you heard these things, it changed everything. Because think about it. Why, why do we have a hard time changing? Try to answer that question in your head right now. When there's things that we feel stuck with, what is it that keeps us from continuing to grow? My guess is that whatever answer you've come upon, in the end, if you trace it back to its very core, it has something to do with fear. We don't grow, we don't change, because at least so often of the time, we're afraid. We're afraid to try something different. We're afraid to step out and try new or more difficult things because we don't know what will happen, and we don't know if we're going to fail. Or even kind of tracing it back one step, we are sometimes unwilling to even acknowledge our own weakness, our own inadequacy, because if we do, we don't know what that will have to mean for us. We're afraid. When, when we have problems with selfishness, what is it? It's a form of us trying to protect ourselves, a belief that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. Well, it's fear. When there's problems with arrogance, so often arrogance is a way of trying to deal with things, to believe that we can control, because if we don't think that we have the ability to control things, who knows what's going to happen? It's fear. We are stuck so often because fear keeps us from growing. Think about it. That's, that's what's true of the person that I described at the very beginning. He was stuck where he was, holding on to everything, held captive in a very visible way by the past because he was afraid of letting it go. He could not change. It was fear. And the gospel, the gospel is a fear killer. Because think about it. Think of if if you really were fully, deeply convinced that the God of the universe is for you. That the one who's in control of all things is completely on your side and is committed to doing every good thing that you need. If you really believed that, You could love because you wouldn't need to worry about what happens to you. God's already got that under control. You're freed. You're not afraid anymore. If you know, truly know, that your future is awesome, that you have an inheritance that cannot be taken away and it is so, so good, then you can face life with reckless abandon. You can try things Because you don't have to worry about losing it. See, the gospel disarms fear. Knowing grace, knowing hope, enables us to grow and to change. And Paul says, that's what happened to you. The key to growing, what happened already, is you became convinced of the grace of God and hope, and that allowed you to grow and change, that you're filled with faith, you're filled with love. And so he says, that's how you need to continue to grow. Here's how you will change. Here's how you will become unstuck. Notice the prayer that he prays in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's the prayer. 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, at first, it might seem to you like he's bringing up a new idea, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Because oftentimes when we think of knowing God's will, we're wondering, you know, should I become a plumber or a banker? What's God's will? Should I, should I marry Susie or Mary? What's God's will? But that's not at all what's going on here. When, when he's talking about God's will, he's saying God's plan. God's desire for you. He's talking about, I want you to know God's gracious commitment to do good for you. I want you to know that he has planned this great inheritance for you. In other words, when it's saying, I want you to know God's will, it's saying, I want you to know the gospel. That you have a God who is committed to loving you and rescuing you. That's what he's praying. That you would know the grace of God and the hope of the gospel. And we might wonder, wait a second, I thought he just said that they already understood the hope and the grace that comes in the gospel. So why is he praying for it now? But notice exactly what he's praying for. He doesn't just pray that you might kind of understand it. He's asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled. In other words, he's saying, this is what changed you before. And here's the key to growing, that this truth might go deeper and deeper and fill you more and more. Because we know that there's different levels that we can know something, don't we? Like, I could tell you right now it's cold outside. And you, you know that, although right now it doesn't feel very real because it's not cold right here, right? But say I said, okay, field trip, let's all walk outside, don't put your coats on, let's just go there, and I spoke to you for another 25 minutes while you were outdoors. You would be filled with the knowledge that it is cold. It would shape you in deep and, frankly, uncomfortable ways. You would feel it to your core. It would shape the way you were treating me, most likely. It would shape the way that you were seeing things. It's a different level of knowing, right? Because you're experiencing it at a different level. And Paul is saying, I pray that you would be filled. Filled with the knowledge that God is gracious. Filled by the understanding that in the gospel of Jesus Christ you have hope. So filled that it shapes every aspect of you. Notice how he he prays that you be filled with spiritual wisdom. Wisdom is a practical word. It's talking about the way that it shapes our day-to-day existence. He's praying that you and I would be so filled with this knowledge of God's grace and the hope that we have that it would shape the way we are when we are stuck in traffic and late. That we would know God's grace and it would change us. That it would shape the way we feel when we get a zero on our assignment that we handed in because we forgot to hand it in in time. That, that God's grace, the hope that we have, would shape how we feel when our spouse forgets to do the dishes and it's their turn. It's this practical, spiritual wisdom. And notice what happens when he says, I want you to be filled with this knowledge. And the result is in verse 10. When this happens, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power 
according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Do you hear all that's going to take place if we are filled with the knowledge of the gospel? Paul is saying you can grow in faith. You might feel stuck, but you can actually grow in your faith in Christ so that it shapes you more deeply and it gives you greater confidence. You and I can actually grow in our capacity to love so that we find ourselves caring more, giving of ourselves more. You and I can grow in our patience and our ability to endure confusion and suffering. We can grow in our marriage by implication. If we're growing these ways, we can grow in the way that we love our spouse. We can grow in our relationship with our children or with our parents or with our friends. We can have a new way of viewing our work so that it's no longer as frustrating. We can find joy even in the monotony. You and I can grow, Paul is saying, and the way that we grow foundationally is in the gospel. Because when you are filled with the knowledge of his grace and the knowledge of the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, it transforms us. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, whether this feels like this is too easy of an answer or you feel kind of stuck and you can't imagine growing. I want to ask you to just kind of bracket that, to put that aside, and just for at least a little while, hope that this is true, because I deeply believe that it is. I I put in the newsletter um, this Friday, one of the ways that I've been praying recently, ever since the men's retreat, is that our church would experience a, an unusual season of fruitfulness, that we would experience in tangible ways how Christ is at work in our lives, that we would ourselves change, that we'd see other people changing, we'd see people coming to Christ, that we would find a deeper passion as we come together. And I'm convinced that part of the answer to the prayer is found in Colossians. And it says the key to becoming unstuck is not by going to more than the gospel, it's that you need more of the gospel. So I want to ask you to do two things. One is just simply, hey, could you join with me in the next eight weeks? If you can come here every week, that'd be awesome. If not, maybe listen so that we can be, you know, listen online so that we can be working through this book together and really listening to what God has to say to us in Colossians. And the second one is also just really simple and practical, and that is, would you join with me in praying throughout this coming week the very prayer that Paul prays here in Colossians? I mean, we can strip it down. At its very heart, here is the prayer that Paul is praying. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. That is, Father, fill us with the knowledge, fill us with the knowledge that you are gracious and that hope is real in Christ Jesus. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. To get really practical, if you're anything like me, if you want that to be a prayer, and I I would love it if we would think about praying this not just once, but kind of throughout the week as it comes to mind, I I need a reminder, maybe you do too, So maybe if you have like a whiteboard that you have in the kitchen that has like calendar dates, you know, just write it down. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. 
Or if you're like a, you know, a memo sticky you know, thing pattern, you can write it down and have it like pasted to your, your bathroom. Or, or maybe you need a, like kind of a, a ritual that reminds you. So every time you're brushing your teeth, you know that when you're brushing your teeth, you will be praying that prayer, Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. For me, I, I have it as now the, the wallpaper on my phone so that every time I turn the phone on, it's the first thing I see. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. I don't know how God will answer that prayer, but I know it's a prayer that honors him because it's one that he helped write. And I'm really interested in seeing what God is going to do. So would you please join with me in praying that throughout this week and with expecting that God will answer that and see what God does among us as we pray that he would fill us with the knowledge of his will so that we might grow. And we could even do that now. I invite you even now. Let's, let's take a couple of minutes before we come to the table to pray and ask that God would deepen our understanding, that he would shape within us a knowledge of his grace that we might be changed. Would you please join with me in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a minute's time. Our loving Father, we acknowledge before you that we are not yet the people that we should be. Lord, you know our sin. You know those areas of our life that we respond to things in fear and in selfishness and pride. We ask for your forgiveness, giving thanks that you are a forgiving and gracious God who has saved us through Christ Jesus. And Lord, even as we acknowledge that, we pray that you would fill us, that you would fill us with a confidence that you are our gracious God who loves us. Would you please fill us with a confidence that you are at work in this world and that our future is secure and our hope is certain? Or would you so fill us with the knowledge of the gospel that we might be changed, that we might more and more be the people you have created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name.